The holidays are made for kids, and it's a time when many of our treasured family memories are made. But for millions of couples, this season may produce deep feelings of longing. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 12% of American couples are infertile. They want children but haven't been able to conceive or carry them. About a third of the time, doctors attribute infertility to male factors. Another third of the time, a combination of factors are to blame or the cause is unexplained. And female factors are to blame in the final third of cases, often as a result of poor egg quality. For women of more, quote, advanced reproductive age, classically women as they approach 40 or over the age of 40, then egg quality becomes probably the major problem for these women, primarily because these eggs, when they fertilize, will often be chromosomally abnormal, which leads to a much lower pregnancy rate, a higher miscarriage rate, etc. Dr. Owen Davis is professor of reproductive medicine at the Weill Cornell Medical College and president of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Age of the eggs will affect egg quality even if the eggs look good under microscope and behave well in a dish in the lab because a lot of them will be just intrinsically chromosomally non-viable. So they may look good in a lab, they may look like normal eggs, but ultimately if you genetically test them, you'll see that a lot of them are abnormal. So for example, if you take a woman who's 45 years old and you have what look like healthy embryos in a dish, so they look like normal oocytes just under the microscope, something like 90% of those embryos, if you test them, will be chromosomally non-viable. One of the problems that can make older eggs non-viable is a deterioration of the part of the egg cell that provides energy. It's called the mitochondria, and the energy they produce is called ATP. In any cell, in most cells in the body, the powerhouse that sort of provides the energy that drives most of the cell's functions resides in these little, what they call organelles, which are organs with each cell called the mitochondria. And the egg is certainly no exception. Eggs have mitochondria, and mitochondria drive a lot of very important functions in the egg, particularly at the time of fertilization and in development of the early embryo up until the time that the embryo actually implants in the lining of the womb or the uterus. The mitochondria are interesting because they are organelles within a cell that have their own DNA. This DNA in the mitochondria gets damaged over time. So as the woman ages, there are more mutations and injuries within the mitochondrial DNA which are not totally able to repair themselves. So the concept is poor mitochondrial quality may translate into poor egg fertilization and embryo development. Some experts have likened mitochondria problems in the egg to its batteries running down. Dr. Michelle Dipp is CEO and co-founder of the biotech firm Ova Science. Essentially, we need energy or ATP in order for that egg to undergo cell division. So when we are younger, our eggs have a lot of very healthy functioning mitochondria or batteries. But as we get older, the batteries get tired with age. So really what they've been able to show over the last 20 years is the better functioning your batteries or the better functioning your mitochondria, the higher your chance of success just in general with pregnancy or with in vitro fertilization, which is the mainstay of treatment for women who struggle with infertility. In theory, if you replace the batteries, the rest of the egg should work fine and be much more likely to result in a pregnancy. DIP's firm has developed a technique called Augment that more or less does exactly that through a surgical procedure and in vitro fertilization. So the Augment procedure, the concept is, well, if you could take mitochondria from a healthy young egg and transfer those microsurgically with a needle, 
into the egg that is of poor quality, that this could improve the egg's function and therefore improve and overcome certain causes of infertility. Now, obviously, you could get mitochondria presumably from any other cell in the body, so why not just inject mitochondria from the skin you know, rather than going into an egg, which after all is inside the ovary? And the answer to that is that mitochondria are sort of specific to different tissues. So mitochondria that are in your muscle will function somewhat differently than mitochondria that are in the heart or, in theory, mitochondria that are in the ovary. All we're doing is adding the woman's own batteries or mitochondria to her own eggs. We always thought that women are born with a set number of eggs that die over time. And it turns out that's absolutely the case in the middle part of the ovary. But what we didn't know is in the outer lining of the ovary, there are immature egg cells. And those are called egg precursor cells. And those egg precursor cells have the ability to mature into fresh, young, healthy eggs. So the other thing that we can do is quite simply get the batteries out of those egg precursor cells and just use those batteries to essentially rejuvenate the woman's own egg. The augment procedure is not available in the United States, but it has been introduced in Canada. In the U.S., the FDA has refused to approve it, demanding more data than is now available on Augment's safety and effectiveness. With any new technology, especially when you're dealing with pre-pregnancy events and early pregnancy, there is the potential that there could be some untoward and unanticipated effects. In theory, you would say, well, this is the woman's own DNA after all. It's coming from her ovary. You're not putting in mitochondria that have DNA from another person. This is something that had been tried back in the early 2000s and late 1990s. So in theory, that sounds like it should be pretty safe, and one would think and hope that it would be, but we really don't know. Injecting mitochondria from a precursor stem cell that's not a mature egg into an egg so that you now have two populations of mitochondria in that egg. You have the mitochondria from the mature woman's egg. You also have these stem cell mitochondria. We just don't really know until there are more children born and followed You know whether it's going to turn out to be safe. It may turn out in the future that it works and it's safe. I think we're far from having enough data points to say that. That's Dr. Neil Mahout, Medical Director of the Montreal Fertility Center and President of the Canadian Fertility and Andrology Society. It's all speculative when you talk about safety, right? Because there is the concern when you start to increase the energy of a cell and that cell happens to be the cell from which all the other cells will be derived. You're talking about the cell that gives rise to every subsequent cell after it. You start to increase the energy in that cell, what could go wrong? And here it's pure speculation. Maybe you're increasing the metabolic performance of those cells. Maybe that's going to invite metabolic problems in the future, like diabetes, things like that. Maybe by increasing the energy of that cell, you could be predisposing to other things. Who knows? Maybe cancer, maybe other abnormalities. You would never get those data points in the short term. You'd see them more in the long term. But it absolutely is speculation. It may be completely benign, but we just don't know. Dip says fewer than two dozen babies have been born worldwide using Augment, but they've all been healthy. And she says the procedure appears to have helped women who couldn't get pregnant before. We have published the clinical experience of the doctors who are using Augment. And on average, what you're seeing is about an increase in success rates of approximately 20%. A woman who has, let's say, 10% chance of getting pregnant with IVF has about a 30% chance of getting pregnant with Augment. 
certainly some preliminary reports suggested that women, average age, I think about 36 in the data that I've seen, they're not women over 40 necessarily, that women who've had anywhere from one failed IVF cycle previously to several failed cycles have had what looks like a good success rate with this technique. And indeed, it could be true, and indeed, this could be very, very promising. But Mahout isn't sure that such small numbers of births produced using Augment really mean anything. Every time you do a cycle, there's a chance that the cycle may work even if previous attempts have failed. And we have very good data in the United States showing that between IVF cycle number one, IVF cycle number two, IVF cycle number three, IVF cycle number four, the success rates are the same. So they're not declining with each attempt, but rather they're staying pretty constant, almost as they would as if you were flipping a coin. So if your method of evaluation of a new technology is to say, well, a patient failed a previous IVF attempt or she failed two previous IVF attempts, and then we did this, and now she got pregnant. You cannot assume that it was the intervention that you did that helped her get pregnant. It may simply be because she tried again. Both Davis and Mahout say doctors would have preferred that Augment be introduced with a large randomized controlled trial to be sure that it works. Mahout also would have liked more safeguards for patient safety. You'd like to see that when a novel technique is being introduced, that the way it's introduced is to go about it doing everything possible to ensure safety and efficacy in the non-human models. And then assuming that you're seeing that, when you introduce it into the humans to say, okay, do we have a very sound study protocol have we gone to an independent ethics review board and asked this exact question? Do we have a data safety monitoring board that's going to monitor what happens to these patients and their long-term follow-up, not just short-term? And put every possible safeguard in place. That's really, I think, what's missing in the way that Augment's been introduced. But especially among would-be parents longing for a child, those steps may be much less important than the glimmer of hope that a new procedure may provide. Patients who are struggling with infertility, particularly those patients who have had several failed attempts, are quite desperate to try to find something, to try to find some answer to their predicament. And they will often go to extreme ends to do that. And I just think that if you introduce something into clinical practice, and remember, this is quite expensive treatment. You're talking about an extra twenty-five dollars to $30,000 on top of the IVF cycle itself. So it's a substantial sum of money. If you're going to do something where you're going to charge patients that sum of money, you'd like to know that you have a very good likelihood of improving their chances of succeeding. However, Davis says somebody has to be first. Somebody has to be willing to take a chance and be one of the first patients to try. The payoff could be life-changing. Davis and even Mahout say Augment could end up being very important to infertile couples. I think for some of these women, if this turns out to be helpful, it could be a very significant breakthrough. And the procedures used, you know, the ICSI where you inject the sperm into the egg, the concept of retrieving eggs, you know, laparoscopy, these are things that have been used in G1 infertility for many, many years and have a fairly good track record. So it could be a major innovation. We have so little that we can offer patients who have diminished ovarian reserve. We have so little that we can offer patients who have poor egg quality. So other than donor egg, most of them are just told, well, try again and hope for the best, and hopefully we'll have a good egg in this group. So if the augment technique is actually able to improve egg quality, 
it would be a fantastic benefit to patients, and it would be a huge breakthrough for the field. However, both experts say there's still a lot we don't know, and given the way Augment was introduced, it may take a little longer than they'd like to find out. You can find out about Augment and all of our guests through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net, where you can also find archives of our programs. You'll also find them on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Nearly 300 million people, including 19 million children, are visually impaired, 90% of them in developing countries. That's where Orbis focuses its work, partnering with local health institutions to prevent and treat avoidable blindness. Dr. Daniel Neely is professor of ophthalmology at Indiana University and a 13-year Orbis volunteer. Vision-restoring interventions can be fast but last a lifetime. Like Teresa, an 11-year-old I met in Zambia who was losing vision in both eyes. She was forced to miss school because she could not see. After her cataract surgery, Teresa can now see, is succeeding in school, and has blossomed into a confident teenager. These are just some of the positive ripple effects which are important outcomes of Orbis's work. 80% of all visual impairment can be avoided or cured. You can help transform another child's life on Giving Tuesday, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, a day dedicated to giving back. On December 1st, people all over the world come together to give something more. Donate to Orbis International at Orbis.org. That's Orbis.org.